Amen, amen. Why don't you open your Bibles to the book of Matthew and the sixth chapter. Uh, the Lord put in my heart to begin to reread again through the New Testament, as we all have done, uh, everybody here tonight, I'm sure, m- multiple times. And so I just kind of started back in, uh, in Matthew again and was reading and got to this chapter, and the Lord really put... Uh, reminded me of some things and and so I want to give um, I want to give honor to the words of Jesus I heard somebody say uh, pastor say well I like the gospel of Jesus but I don't really have a whole lot for Paul and I really don't agree with that very good that's not I'm taking the whole thing but we do like the words of the Lord I don't think there's a whole lot we could question with the words of Jesus and I want to pick up on some things. There, there are some components to our faith, to Christian living. And I want to pick up on those because Jesus thought it was important to talk about. Uh, and so I want, to, I want to cover that tonight. So um, let's just pray before we even take a text. Have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 6. And let's ask the Lord, God, that you would be here tonight. We know your presence is where your people have gathered. We know you go where you are celebrated and not tolerated. We know that when we have gathered in your name that you are in the midst. God, and we also believe that your word is quick and powerful. It is ministering. It is dividing. It is separating. And Lord, we're ready to receive it tonight. We're ready to receive your word, whatever it costs, whatever it means. Lord, we're ready to receive that. And we give you all praise and glory. And everybody say amen. Amen. So if you don't want strong word, then I suggest you get your keys and get in your car and go. Now, this isn't strong words from Pastor Rodney. I know everybody here tonight is home folk, and so this might even seem redundant. But Jesus said these things, and I think they're important. When you look at Matthew 6, it's coming on the heels. This is the whole um, Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. You know, it's all together. These are, these are some of the first and the most important words that Jesus spoke to those who would consider following him. And, and I think that that's really an important thing to, to remember that Jesus thought these things are important. In this chapter, I think Jesus is setting out to make clear the proper conduct for his disciples in three different areas. They are absolutely, and don't miss this, they are absolutely elementary to your faith. There are these three areas. Giving, prayer, and fasting. Pastor just mentioned all three of those right before I got up here. Giving, prayer, and fasting. Jesus talks about these things, and he feels like they're important enough that he's going to break them down and give us some understanding uh, about how we should do them. It's not just that he says that you should do these things, but Jesus also recognizes uh, and, and directly instructs that if you do these things in the wrong way, then they're of no value in the kingdom. So, to be concise, you can give, and if you give in the wrong way, it's as though you didn't give at all. Everybody following me? You can pray, and if you pray in the wrong way, it's as though... You did not pray at all. And you can fast, and if you fast in the wrong way, it's as though you didn't fast at all. 
Now, these things all were being done by the Jews. The Jews fasted, they prayed, and they gave. It was all part of their conduct, of their, um, wouldn't say Christian life, because they didn't follow Christ, but of their Judaistic character. How they conducted their religion was prayer, fasting, and giving. They did all of these things, and yet they did not know God at all. They didn't recognize him when he showed up. They didn't honor him when he spoke. They didn't, uh, they didn't revere his words in their heart. So Jesus wants to set out and make really clear, not only should you pray, should you give, and should you fast, but you better be doing them in this way or I'm going to have a problem with it. That's more or less what Jesus is saying. So everybody with me so far? Now listen, I know that you're all home folk. I know that we all have heard this and I know we all believe it. I'm not intending to throw stones here tonight, but these are the words of the Lord and I'm going to speak directly. Pastor said this morning, he said it's that we need men who will stand up and call out hypocrisy. Did you not say those exact words? It's kind of funny how the Lord would put that together. If you know this chapter, that's exactly where this is going. We need men who are going to stand up and call out hypocrisy. So if you've got some hypocrisy in your life, you're going to be offended by what I say tonight. Okay? So if you are offended and walk out the doors tonight, it's because you got some hypocrisy you need to deal with. These are Jesus' words, so let's look at them. Everybody good? We got all buckled up. Start off real strong, and then we kind of let off the gas a little bit. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. I want to start there and just pause. Just read that first verse. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. That's a pretty straightforward statement. So, again, we, now we covered this thought a lot, and I know none of you probably believe what the American gospel has become, but I do think it's important to uh, consistently show the converse statements of what Jesus says and what the American gospel is preaching. The American church believes that you have reward from God regardless how you live. Everybody follow? Jesus says, if you live what most would deem to be right, but you do it in the wrong way, you have no reward. Totally different ends of the spectrum. Now, one of the things that stood out to me was the oldest manuscripts of Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1 will not use the word that is used for alms, and I will save you the Greek word, but the word that's used for charitable deeds or alms is not the word that most of the oldest manuscripts use, but they instead use the word righteousness. When you do your righteous deeds... I really think that this is, is leaning toward this way. In other words, this heading over the discussion of what Jesus is going to talk about. So when you're doing your righteous deeds, now he hasn't said what those righteous deeds are. I, I gave you the clue. They're going to be giving, fasting, and praying. Those are righteous deeds. Those are things that God wants us to be doing. And so he says, 
before we get there, I need to help you understand something. If you do these things to be seen of men, they're of zero value in your life at all. My dad always would say to me, I remember he, when I was young in ministry, he would say, listen, you don't ever give to be seen, but you need to make sure you're seen giving. You don't ever pray to be seen, but it's important that your children see you praying. We're not talking about having good habits. We're not talking about, well, uh, we come on Saturday nights and pray, and so every one of us has to go find a closet so nobody knows that we're praying. That's not what Jesus is talking about. But when you do your righteous deeds, when you're going to do those things that accompany a righteous life, you need to make sure that you're not doing them in front of men. You're not doing them to get men's honor or men's glory. Because if you are, then you have your reward. And that doesn't seem like something we should even be discussing. I know none of you do that. Not intentionally. You may not even be aware that you're doing that. But you need to take heed. It's something you need to watch for. It's something you need to be aware of. So you're not really looking to give or help anybody with merciful giving. But because everybody's watching and, and, and so you drop something in the offering. Or so because you feel guilty, you, you help somebody who's impoverished. Just keep it. Just keep it because you're going to need it. You're going to need it because God's not receiving it. You're not giving it to God when you give with strings attached. And we'll get there in a second. But So it's take heed that you do not practice righteousness before men, but rather that you're practicing rightness before God. I think that that translation, in my opinion, is the most accurate. That it's not really just, he goes into almsgiving here in a minute. So this is the caption. This is the heading over the chapter. Righteous deeds, let's talk about them. That's more or less what Jesus is saying. So if we live and, we, and, and act, and if what we're doing has no impact on how God sees it, if, if how we do that, then if it's irrelevant what, what you're doing, if Jesus doesn't care about what you're doing, then we need to take this whole chapter and throw it away. Again, American gospel, God's not concerned with how you live. How you live is not tied at all to what blessings you receive. How you live is not tied at all to how God rewards you. How you respond to situations has nothing to do with whether God is pleased with you or not. That's the American gospel. If that's true, we need to throw away the whole chapter 6 of Matthew. Just get rid of it. Because Jesus is going to say the exact opposite in this chapter. So the heading is, take heed. It matters how you live. It matters not just that you do these things but how you do these things. Everybody ready? Here we go. Verse 2 through verse 4. Therefore, when you do your charitable deeds now, that's alms, uh, is the word you'll see in, I think, in the King James. Yes, the alms. Do not sound a trumpet before you as the, everybody say, hypocrites. Hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will himself reward you openly. How many have ever heard somebody say, well, you know, God just knows my heart? 
That's a scary statement. It's often used in conjunction with your attitudes and your actions really aren't that good. But attitudes and actions come from the heart. So when I get up and say, now I know I didn't really act right there. I know I didn't do right here. But God knows my heart. Yeah, he does. He actually knows the reason why you're acting that way, which isn't because your body's doing it. It's not because your mouth's saying it. It's because it's in your heart. And that's why you're not honoring God. That's why you're not, not acting correctly or responding righteously to situations. So giving alms, charity, is the word that most in, in you know, modern English, we kind of see that word charity. It's used in... In Hebrews, or sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. Now remaineth faith, hope, and charity, but the greatest of these is charity. But that's not the same word. That word is agape, not the same word. This word means merciful giving. It means to be moved with compassion. The word is derived from the root word of mercy. The same word that, that speaks of God's mercy toward us is the same word that's the root for this, of of us giving mercy toward others. Us being merciful. I don't think it's actually just tied to financially giving, although I think that's the big portion of it. But the very idea of, of giving to someone what they do not necessarily deserve what they cannot necessarily give of themselves. But it also, it moves the, the, the needle a bit in this way, that God loves giving without any expectation of return. I've said this many times. When Christmas rolls around, we say that we give gifts. But the truth is, we do not. We do gift exchanges. Because I buy something, and you buy something, all your husbands and wives. Now the time when we do gift giving is to our children. Because they have nothing to offer back. And so we give them something with zero expectation of return. God is indebted to no one. Let's be clear about this. If you give and you do not release it, then you are not giving to God in any capacity. We can take this right over into offering giving. I remember somebody came to dad one time when we were doing discipleship and he said, we were doing a discipleship program and he said, I don't want my money going to the discipleship program. And I don't know if he said it or he just, did you say it? Or just thought it. He said, well, we'll use your money for the toilet paper then. <laughs> if you give with strings attached, you're not giving. The only way you can give to God, he's not going to be indebted. See, this is, again, American gospel is I'm going to give and then God owes me something. Because I give, now I gave $10, now God's going to give me a hundredfold. That means i got a thousand coming back to me. That is a Ponzi scheme. God is indebted to no one. We give off of what he has already given to us. We do not give to get. We do not give to receive. If you are doing that, again, 
keep it in your pocket. You're going to need it. God's not going to bless you. Cannot bless you. Will not bless you. He will be indebted to no man. And if you're going to give, then not just financially in offerings. You don't give to Echoes of Calvary. You certainly shouldn't be given to Pastor Rodney. You give to the Lord, and when you give, you let go of it and put it into his hands and say, Lord, whatever you want to do, I'm just thanking you for what you've already done. Now take that over into almsgiving, into charitable giving. Some people, again, would say, well, I, you know, my tithe I gave to so-and-so this week. Oh, no, you can't give your tithe to so-and-so. You can only give your tithe to the Lord. You can only give a tenth of your increase to God. You can't pay the tenth of your increase to your neighbor who needed a utility bill paid. All you did was steal from God. You can't, you can't decide who to give it to. You give it to the Lord. But now when we go over into charitable giving, we've already, we've already given our appreciation, our gratitude for what God's done in our life, for what he's provided. Now we go into seeing a need in somebody else's life. If you give and help somebody's, help somebody's need mercifully, meeting a need in somebody's life, you can give that and it be completely unrecognized by God. That, that blows my mind when I think about that. You can have every, you know, everything looks right. You could give my body to be burned, Paul said in Corinthians. All of my wealth away. But if I'm doing that for the wrong reason, then the scripture says I'm a hypocrite. So what's that word? Pastor covered it, covered it this morning. The, the word hypocrite means to be an actor. One who does something wearing a mask is another version of, of how it just defines this. And I thought that was pretty interesting. It's funny that the mask itself has come to represent compassion in this country when in fact it's not anything to do with compassion but rather control hypocrisy it's hypocrisy gone to siege it's the pretense now then they didn't have special effects they didn't make movies and have all this green screens and all that stuff so so the the people would put on masks to pretend to be some character that's exactly what this is and God looks right through all of your giving he looks right through all of your praying right through all of your fasting and he looks right at your heart and he says if your heart's not right none of that means anything to me none of it we know Jesus stopped the offering and that they were giving large sums of money it suggests they were giving a lot more than just a tithe, large sums of money, and God looked at them and said, this woman who gave just two little mites has given more than all of you because she gave out of her need or really out of her heart. She gave because she wanted to be invested in the kingdom of God. They gave to be seen. They gave parading it up there. Look at what I've done. Look what I've got. Boy, I'm doing something special. I'm really helping people. I am really doing something around Echoes of Calvary. No, you've had your reward then. And Jesus felt this was so important that he needed to address it to people who would follow him. He wanted us to understand today, 2,000 years later, that you can give and give in the wrong way. He wanted us to understand that we need to make sure that our heart is correct in giving way more than our finances are in giving. 
Just like everything else. There is nothing with the Lord that doesn't have to do with our heart. Nothing. Jesus hates hypocrisy. How many would agree with that statement? He hates hypocrisy. Because it is pretense. It is fake. It is phony. It's double-lifed. It's two-faced. It's, look at me, I'm a Christian, but really, you're, you're doubting God. You're not trusting God. You're not living for God. It's two-faced. And he hates it. So don't pretend, don't pretend to love people in church and, in fact, devour them in your home. What? I just love, 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 love. And then you go home and devour, devour, devour. Paul said you need to be careful when you go around biting one another. Because what's going to happen is you're going to end up devouring yourself. Scripture. Jesus hates hypocrisy. I've always got a statement, and this is always for the men. Men talk to men. If you've got a problem, you talk to a man. The scripture even says if you have a problem with the brother, go to the brother. That's what men do. Hypocrisy is to pretend like everything's fine when it's not fine. So Jesus hates hypocrisy. He immediately deals with it in giving. Now he's going to deal with it in prayer. Look at verse 5. And when you pray. So we talked about giving now and when you pray. You shall not be as the hypocrites. Again, immediately, we're going to talk about prayer. But before we talk about prayer, we want to make clear that the problem with prayer starts with hypocrisy. Is everybody listening to me tonight? Hypocrisy is the number one problem with your quote-unquote prayer life. I don't even like the term prayer life. I don't know what it means. As though my prayers have a life of their own. They do not. Prayer is simply my communication with God. And before he even talks about prayer, he's going to talk about hypocrisy because hypocrisy is the biggest problem. It's not how you communicate. It's not what you're saying. It's the fact that you're being disingenuine. That's the problem with prayer. Let's look at it real quickly. And when you pray, you shall not be as the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in front of the congregation in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, just like when they give. Same thing. They want to be seen. That they may be seen of men, assuredly I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in, sec in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Again, God knows my heart. Yeah, he does. Get into the secret place. This is going to be repeated every time here. And the God who sees in secret is going to reward you openly. How many want God to reward you openly? Now, all of you better be raising your hand. Raise them up. Get them up. I want God to see. I want God to reward me openly. Well, then you better be doing some stuff in secret. If you want God to reward you openly, then your secret thoughts need to be right. Everybody following me? 
If you want God to pour out his blessing upon your life, then how you're thinking when nobody else is around becomes vitally important to your life. Not what you're doing in front of everybody. That doesn't matter. Not what you look like when you come and you got your hands up and you're, and you're saying words that everybody else is saying around you. Not when you parade your offering up to the bulls. That's not what's important. What's important is what's inside your heart. And if you get what's inside your heart right in secret, now you open the opportunity for God to begin to speak into your life. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they will be heard by their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. That's pretty straightforward. Don't pray to be seen. Don't pray long-winded liturgies. Don't be like them. For your Father knows the things that you have need of before you even ask. So you think when it comes to prayer, now I could have broke this down over weeks and done this, but I don't know if I'd have had time to get it done. So we had to concise. So I'm, I'm, doing, I'm trying to hurry here. Moving from giving to prayer, you think that you got to tell God what's going on in your life. You think that you got to get down and you've got to tell God what you're thinking. Am I wrong? You think, man, i got to get down here and i got to let God know what's going on because God doesn't know what's going on. But Jesus just said God knows what you need before you even ask it. That's not what prayer is about. Prayer is not informing God of your needs. <laughs> prayer is submitting yourself to the will of God. Prayer is not going and asking God for a bunch of stuff. Now... There is precedence for us to go before the Lord and to ask things of Him when we ask in His character and we can believe that He's working on our behalf to form Himself in us. But He knows your needs. And, and Jesus dealt with this so many times. He said, man, the sparrows, they don't do anything, but God feeds them. And, and you don't need to worry about the stuff. Forget about the stuff. He's just said back in the fifth chapter, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Get that part figured out. Get the secret part figured out. What you need to do is get the secret part figured out. Not the words. Not the words, but the secret part. Jesus' first instruction on prayer is do not be hypocrites. It's the biggest threat to effective prayer in your life. It's hypocrisy. I won't go through the Lord's Prayer tonight. You all, you all have read it. You all know it. I pray it daily. Dad prays it daily. Hopefully most of you do too. He said, pray in this manner. It's not that we recite it. In fact, I try to pray it slowly and just meditate on those words every day. Just At times I'll pray it for length, you know, in each Father which art in heaven, I'll glorify the Lord. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. I talk about, God, I want to be a part of your kingdom. Get out of my kingdom. At times I do that, and other times I just really slowly just meditate and pray. I do that every day. I'm not going to take time to cover all of that for the sake of time. But I want to look at the very few practical things that will affect your prayer. You want to talk about hypocrisy. Jesus says the number one threat to your prayer is your hypocrisy. If you want God to answer your prayers, then let's deal with that. Jesus rebukes, first of all, praying to be seen. Praying liturg liturgical 
uh, long-winded prayers in order to sound godly or holy. And prayer that says one thing with your mouth in front of people but does another with your heart. All of these things are rebuked by the Lord. People that honor him with their lips but their heart is far from him. Jesus rebukes all of these things. I, I want to look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 23. I, I think seeking first the kingdom of God is not there because this is Matthew 5, 23. It says this, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and remember that your brother ha uh, has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way first to be reconciled to your brother and then you shall come and offer your gift. Did everybody get that? Any question about that? If you've got a problem with your brother, get up from the altar and stop praying. That's what Jesus said. Do we like that? Shall I sit down here and just kind of let, let it mull over? This is not optional. We're talking about God answering prayers, God, God hearing, God receiving the gifts that we're bringing to him, God responding to us. This is his words. You got a problem, get up from here. Stop doing this where people can see you and get into secret and deal with the problem. This, this is a reoccurring theme with the Lord. You're going to have to deal with the issues. I want to look at Mark chapter 11. This is another thing that's really good in prayer. Mark chapter 11, verse, I believe it's verse 25. Oh, this is good. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. That your Father in heaven may also forgive you of your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Is this the words of the Lord or is this Pastor Rodney's words? Okay, so you're standing there praying. And you've got grievance with your brother. Stop praying until you can forgive him because God's not listening to you. That's the exact connotation. If you're not ready to forgive, then God also is not going to forgive you. So if you've been carrying grievances around in your life for the last 10 years, guess what? That's why God's not hearing your prayers. His words, not mine. We get all caught up on what we want to say in order for God to answer our prayers. But I want to suggest that maybe we should pay a little bit more attention to what Jesus says to do. If I want God to answer my prayers, then this is what I need to do. If we're supposed to forgive our brothers, does this not apply to our spouses? So, I have problem with my spouse. I'm aggravated with my spouse. I'm carrying this, this um, hostility, this frustration. I'm not talking about that you got in a little squabble. I'm talking about something you're carrying. Of course, when you go to pray, when you got in the squabble, the Lord's going to tell you to go make it right. But now you've been carrying this for some weeks, some months. Some years. 
Just an underwriting frustration with the way they're doing things, with it's their fault that this happened. If they wouldn't have done this, then that wouldn't have happened. And look, we're still dealing with the consequences of all that. Let me tell you something. If the Lord says to forgive your brother, I think it certainly applies to your spouse. Let's, okay, this is where this is fun. You know, just take it one step further. Right? Okay, so it applies to our brother. It applies to our spouse. Are our ministry, our pastors and our ministers, are they brothers? It's a thought. So you got problems with the ministry. And you think that you have a right to air those. You have a right to keep those. You have no, no duty to make those right. Sorry. The Lord would say the exact same thing. Make it right. Forgive and make right with your brother before you ever come down here and start talking to me. That's what the Lord would say. I believe that's very accurate and scriptural. Because what we don't want is hypocrisy in our life. First Peter chapter three and verse seven. Got a, just got a few scriptures that come to my mind when we're thinking of prayer. I want a prayer that people. I want to pray, and I want God to respond to my prayers. I want Him to hear my prayers. Right? Okay. So let's take it one step further. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them. Uh, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife. As to the weaker vessel, and all the women said amen. That wasn't quite enough. but As to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Now look at this part. That your prayers be not hindered. Uh-oh. Or as Scooby-Doo would say, rot-row. We got a problem here. Dishonor produces unanswered prayers. When you do not do what God has already said to do, now you stand and say, I don't know why God won't listen to me. Let me tell you why. Dishonor. Dishonor always produces prayer. And you're going to hear it over and over again. And God's going to say, "You, there's the problem. You need to make it right. And you can justify it. Again, I just covered it. You can, you can justify it and this bitterness towards your spouse and this frustration. And, and I don't know why God won't listen to me. And God's saying, you aren't living like I told you to live. Do you not have the ability to forgive? Do you think you don't have the for- ability to forgive? Maybe your spouse has sinned against you. That's okay. Forgive them. Scripture says we have that authority. We don't have the authority to forgive people's sins before God, but we have the authority to forgive people's sins toward us. Jesus' words. So if you want God to hear your prayer, don't be like the hypocrites. The hypocrites have no honor. Hypocrites do not honor. You know why I know they don't? Because they say something to your face and they do something else behind your back. It's dishonor. And God always rejects dishonor. I'm going to say it again tonight. I've said this many times and most of you have talked to me. If you ever talk to me about honor, you know that this is is something I always say. Honor is a vertical relationship. 
Honor is not about me and Chris. Honor is not about me and my dad. Honor is about me and God. Honor is about doing what God says to do. Regardless of whether I love what Chris is doing or what my dad is doing. Honor is because God tells me to act in this way. This is how I'm going to do it. Because I want to be right with God. Whether I'm right with man or not, I'm really not that concerned about. So I'm going to forgive because God tells me to forgive. It doesn't really matter whether they deserve forgiveness. I'm going to honor because God tells me to honor. I don't get to determine whether or not I want to honor. That's what God says to do. Everybody understand what I'm saying? So we're talking about prayer. Proper perspective in prayer is that we honor first. Honor first. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and in doctrine. So if we're to give double honor to those who care for our souls, who are laboring to see Christ formed in us, if our prayers are not being answered, they're being hindered as the result of dishonoring our spouses, then do we believe that how we treat those who are laboring in the word has no effect on our prayers? Just a question. Now I know all of, everybody here, like I said, I'm preaching to the choir. I'm sure everybody's already got this all figured out. I'm hoping somebody will get it somewhere. Now, I know that also that there's going to be some dispersing. People are going different places. This is true. You say, well, Pastor Rodney, you say that because you're a pastor. No, I say this because it's the words of the Lord, and I want to make sure I'm living right. That's why I'm saying it. I would do this if I never got up in front of another pulpit, if all I ever did was sit on a pew. This is the truth. And if you want God... To reward you. You want God to hear your prayers. Here are some keys. You can take it or you can leave it. But we can sit and keep going around the same mountain and wonder why God's not listening. Or we can do what God says. And I can guarantee you his word is true. And if we do what God says, then we open up the windows of blessing upon our lives. It's not magical. It's not mystical. It's not luck. It's because we are ordering ourselves as God says to order ourselves. You give God access to move and bless you. Amen? Amen. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. I'm not going to go over fasting. I'm just going to hit it really quick, but just so we'll get through the prayer. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. What, whatever I ask. Well, we have to remember to keep that little clause in there. It's the one that we want to kind of remove out. That according to his will clause. That's a really important clause. Why is God not hearing my prayers? Why is God not responding to me? Because I'm asking things that are not according to his will. James chapter uh, 4 and verse 3, I believe it is, where it says that uh, you have not because you ask not. And when you do ask, you ask amiss because you're desiring to heap it to your own lust. 
proper perspective in prayer, we don't want to act as the hypocrites do, who pretend as though they're giving to support the kingdom, but really they're giving because they believe God's got to give back to them. That's hypocritical. I love James chapter 5 and verse 16. We've all quoted this many times. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That means that I can pray and it accomplishes a lot of stuff. That's kind of how we take that. The problem is, and put it up there really quickly, uh, James chapter 5 verse 16. We don't want to miss the first part of that. See the preface for this? What is the preface for it? Confess your faults one to another. So we want powerful prayer. We want prayer that God answers. But we, we don't want to do the part A. We want part B without part A. So again, we say, I want God to hear me. Well, then do part A. I want, I want to pray and believe that God's going to respond. Then do part A. Because the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man, not a person who calls themselves righteous or, or names righteousness, but a person who is rightly acting before God, doing what God says to do. So if you want God, you got a problem? You, you got an issue? Confess it. Live in the open. Be epistles read of all men. We want God to answer our prayers. Live your life in open, in the, your conduct of your life. Now, we got a secret thing we've been talking about. That's about, about going between me and God and, and being honest with God and being open with God. But then our lives in public need to be lived correctly. And if we're not, if we've got some things going on in the secret, the scripture tells us to confess them in order that we may be healed. And then as the result of healing, we become righteous. And that righteousness produces effective prayer in our life. Everybody follow the procedure there? Honor, obedience, and proper priority precede answered prayers do not be as the hypocrites i think jesus could have covered a lot of area here but he covered these three because they all are tied to our righteous conduct our righteous deeds but i think we need to be aware that in every aspect of our life whatever it is do not be hypocritical I'm going to leave that there for us to deal with and mull over through your week at home. But if there are areas in your life where there are things that you are putting on that are not true, get rid of them and allow God to begin to move as he desires in your life. You have nothing to fear when you throw your, throw your life into the hands of God. And I'll tell you something else. You have nothing to fear when you throw your lives into the hands of the brothers and sisters that are around us. This is the best group of people I've ever been around. How many would say amen? amen? We don't need to fear each other. We don't need to fear what would come. There's nothing going to come but support and strength and help. And this is what God wants. I, I just want to quickly, I don't have time to cover fasting, but being that it is one of the things in hypocrisy, I've got to get back to Matthew chapter 6 really quickly. I just want to read it and make one little quick comment, and then we will be done. Moreover, verse 16, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites. Again, same thing. Now, why are they hypocritical? With a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say that they have their reward, but you, 
when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, put on your makeup, do your hair, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. But to your father who is in the secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. It's beautiful. What we discover when we serve the Lord is that every aspect of our spiritual life has to do with the heart condition before God. And I don't even think that's about being perfect or having a perfectly pure heart. We are fleshly and the heart is, de is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know what the scripture says? I'm not talking about your heart being perfect. I'm talking about your heart being open. I'm talking about your heart being transparent. I'm talking about you saying, Lord, created me a clean heart and renew a upright, steadfast spirit within me. That's the desire. When that's the desire of our heart, then I think God is merciful and gracious. He's long-suffering and not willing that any should perish. I think all of those things are true. Wash your face. Comb your hair. Put on the dress to the nines. Put it on. Make everybody think you're not fasting. That's exactly what the Lord just said to do. Make it appear to men as though you're not fasting. Well, I'm going to fast from Brussels sprouts. That's an easy one for me. I'm going to fast soda today. Doesn't really take a whole lot of resolve. Now, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I'll fast between breakfast and lunch and then again after lunch to dinner. Kind of be good fast times. I will split fasting with my family so we can all take a few hours. No? No. I'll split it. Husband and wife got all the husbands and wife. We'll split it and we'll have husband do part of the day and wife do part of the day. No. No, just don't put your name down. It's okay, you don't have to fast. Pastor's not requiring anybody here fast. Nope. But if you're going to fast, we don't want to be hypocritical. I don't want any of you to write your name on there and then not fast. Ah, that would be bad. Because you would be pretending to do something you're not in fact doing. You would be pretending to be sacrificing when in fact you're not sacrificing. So we want to make sure that we are doing this not in front of men. The only reason we have the little sign-up calendar, well, I'll just keep, now that's, that's a beautiful one. I'll keep my name off the list. So that, you know, I want to make sure I'm fasting in secret. And that's also the same people who do not want to write a check in the offering. They just put it in cash. Right. Yeah. They put it in cash because they don't want a record of what they gave. So listen, I'm not, the fasting calendar is only there, so we're trying to fill it out. We want to see that we have, kind of a perpetual fast at the church. That's all that's about. We're not keeping record. Nobody cares whether you fasted or not. We're just trying to make sure, hey, we got a few days. If somebody wants to grab one of those days, we're trying to fast for a year. That's, but, but don't put your name down and not fast. Fasting, what is fasting about? I'm, I'm, I'm literally finished, but what is fasting about? It's about putting your belly into, into subjection. It's about your appetite. That's all that fasting's about. I told dad a few weeks ago I was thinking about fasting. 
And Jesus said at one point, these kind do not come out but with prayer and fasting. Everybody remember that? I don't think that Jesus was talking about, hey, man, this is really big deal. We need to go fast for a little bit and pray, and then we'll come back. I don't think that's what he's saying at all. I think what he's saying is, unless you're in a, in a perpetual state of preparedness because you've been fasting and because you've been praying, you're not ready to deal with this. So fasting is just, for us, we do that once a month. It, it just reminds my belly that it's not God. And if I'm not going to eat for a day, then my belly doesn't really like it. But it reminds it that, you know what? God's still in control. And so when my appetites arise for sinful things, I'm telling my, my flesh, you're not in charge. Jesus fasted, put his flesh under for 40 days, and then Satan came. Now, obviously, we know the Lord is, I don't think he was tempted with sex and drugs and rock and roll. I don't think that at all. I think he was tempted to step out of his humanity and into deity. But regardless, the fasting puts the flesh under, the natural human man under. Don't do that and waste it. I mean, eat. If you're going to be a hypocrite, just eat. We do this under the Lord because we want to be in right condition in our hearts. Now, all of that is just the words of Jesus. It's just what he says about things. And, and I just think it's, it's telling that before he even talks about them, before he talks about how we're supposed to do them, he talks about how we're not supposed to do them. Because I think that that's the natural way. I could see in all of those things that it's probably how I would do it if I wasn't instructed. I would do it just like the hypocrites do it. <laughs> that's exactly how I would do it. That's flesh. So we just want to, I want to make sure that when I'm fasting and when I'm praying, that I have the right perspective in those things. And when I'm giving, that I've got the right perspective because I'm believing that God is ordering our steps. Right? We are ordering. He is ordering our steps. And we need him to do that. Amen? Pastor, why don't you come tonight? Thank you, Lord. Let's just pray. Lord, we just ask you right now that our hearts receive, Lord, and that out of the goodness of our heart, the actions come to serve you, Lord. And we pray right now, Lord, if we have cluttered that, if it has been hypocritical in any way, we ask you, Lord, that we just get it right, right now before you, Lord, that the things that were said tonight, the things that were spoken to us, Lord, in, in uh, that you would correct us, Lord, and help us and guide us into your things. We pray it, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Can everybody say amen? Amen.